Welcome to episode 14 of That Classical Podcast. This time, Baroque. Hello! Hello! I'm Chris Bland. I'm Kelly Harlock. And you're listening to episode 14 of That Classical Podcast. Oh my god, one four. That is impressive. Welcome. <laughs> we do say so ourselves. Yeah, welcome back everyone. It's lovely to have you on board. And uh, today, we're going to be talking about Baroque, Chris, aren't we? Baroque. Baroque and roll. Baroque Obama. out of my house. If it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. Stop. Oh my God, will it ever end? Between Baroque and a hard place. Oh oh my, that's actually quite a good one. I'll give you that. I'll give you that, but stop. Hey Kelly, when you're feeling a bit peaky, what what's the orange fizzy drink? Is it Barocca? Yes, it is. That's a good one too. Damn you, damn you, and your hilarious puns. Right, do you want to tell us a bit about Barocca? I, I, mean <laughs> I would love to tell you about Barocca. Go for it. So, um, yeah, we're gonna introduce you to this time period. So, broadly speaking, classical music is split up into different sort of chunks of time, so periods. Um, starting with medieval music, that's way back in sort of the 500s, old. through to the Renaissance period, which is like 1400 Less to old. 1600. Mm, that's it. Uh, Baroque, which we're talking about today. Hey! Um, that's about 1600 to 1750. Mm-hmm. That's about the time period. And then after that, you've got your classical, your romantic, mm. your 20th, mm. so your 21st mm. century. Nice. But yeah, so we're talking about Baroque, which yeah. is when what we now really think of as classical music in inverted commas started to sort of really crystallise. Um, Great word. Thank yeah. you. One thing I found out actually while I was uh, looking into this that hadn't really struck me before, but this was actually the first time period where tonality was the thing. So when... What does that mean? So when a piece is in a key, right? Like now we just take that for granted. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, That's but great. the Baroque time was the first time that this was like... What this was piece it is now before? They just didn't really have the same conception of like a key. It was just sort just of... Just like, I'm going to start on this note. Everyone, let's do it. <laughs> That's good. For me, I've got to say, again, layman's terms, Baroque music, I just think of twiddles, twiddly bits, you know, like... Funny you should say that. Yeah, continue. That is one of the key stylistic aspects of Baroque music. Technical term, twiddly bits. Twiddly bits. That's it. Um, Yeah, so things that stand out about the Baroque time period, it's not really, you can't really say it's a style of music, it's more sort of a, a time period within which we classify music as Baroque. Noted. And so one of the features was that it was very ornate, basically. There was lots of twiddles, as you say. So like <laughs> trills and ornaments on the, the notes and all all that sort of jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing was that it was very dramatic, basically. Um, so it was, yes, it was formalised, but it was also about sort of expressing emotions oh my and God. being... Yeah, highly drama. It was so a bit emo, is what you're trying to tell it me. It was super emo. Okay, love that, love um, that. And actually, Fringe. that's how it got its name. So the the, the name Baroque comes, uh, it was named retrospectively. So oh. Baroque composers at the time weren't like, yes, I am writing Baroque music. Okay. It came afterwards in the classical period. So the classical period was sort of a reaction to the Baroque. The classical was all very neat, very balanced, very harmonious, very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, because they thought Baroque was a bit like wild and excessive and free. Do you know why I love that? It really helps with the emo kind of analogy. Like <laughs> the Baroque people were like, no Just one understands understand. me. My music doesn't even have a genre. And yeah, 
That is wonderful. Um, so, okay. yeah, so the name comes from uh, French via Portuguese, Barocco, which means like a misshapen pearl. Because they were like, this is rubbish. It's not a pearl like our music. It's all like lumpy and weird and rubbish. That's great. Yeah. And I so it was that. only afterwards that Baroque wasn't used as a pejorative term. So it was sort of from the 19th century onwards that people started using Baroque just as to describe it. So basically what you're saying is they called it a bit crap. Is yeah. what they really meant. They were like, okay. this is lumpy, weird, twiddly music. So, today's theme, ladies and gentlemen, is the a bit crap period of music. Well, now people like it. Now it's good. I love it. And so just further on some of the, the stylistic features of this period. So we've got the twiddles, the that sort of stuff. In terms of instrumentation, as we mentioned previously when we played some Monteverdi on the podcast. Basso Continuo. Basso Continuo, yeah. which is where you've got a continual bass yes. um so this is either a cello or a viola de gamba which is an old type of cello basically mm-hmm. or a harpsichord harpsichord super baroque yeah love it just yeah. super super baroque surprise me yeah um yeah and that's i mean there's there's loads more but that's basically baroque in a nutshell yeah everything's got a basso continuo and from that point you're fine you're all good you're fine shall we just launch in then i think we should Let's what's go the it. first piece going to be today Today, lads and lasses, we're going to talk about Barb's, Barbara Strozzi. Barbara Streisand. It is a bit like the Barbara Streisand of the Baroque period. Uh, Ah. She was a total babe. By the way, just so you know, I have about four posters of Barbara Streisand in this very flat. Kelly's a very big Barbara Streisand A very serious fan of Barbara Streisand. (laughs) Incredibly serious. But that's a tangent. Today we talk about Barbara Strozzi. Uh, She was born in 1619, died 1677. Not bad. Uh, and she was an Italian singer and composer. Very nice. So her dad was uh, an intellectual in uh-huh. Venice. And I love this story. So there wasn't really many... So, so he really supported the fact that she was a musician. She was writing. She mm-hmm. was singing. She was a lovely soprano. Okay. Um, but there was nowhere for her to kind of perform. So her dad just made a little academy just just made one <laughs> just like here you go oh, man. take to, that to be rich in like the olden <laughs> days you just be like i will found an yeah. academy now and then she like presided over it like, fine fine then um Sick. nepotism <laughs> but um yeah so so she was kind of uh dealing with that and writing at the same time mm. and she was great she was a highly educated woman um that is why people think she maybe supported herself as a courtesan. Uh, not a courtesan. No, you didn't. And actually, one of the only pictures I could find of her on the internet was uh, one in which she was holding a, a, a lute and her breast is kind of just kind of tumbling, just tumbling out of her, <laughs> of her little top. A, and lute and um, boob. Lute and boob, the classic combo. Okay, um, strong, strong So combo. I feel like she that may have been a bit of a, a, a clue. So she was a musician, but also a courtesan. Courtesan. Hence, lute and boob. Exactly. Nice. And yeah, so they were, and they were highly educated. So it would make sense also on a tangent. If you want to see a film about that, Dangerous Beauty, Rufus Sewell, take me. Right, (laughs) so, okay. Um, But um, actually, interestingly as well, uh, people also think that this might have just been slander um, by all her jealous sort of male contemporaries, like, you know, referring to her as this kind of like, oh, she's only, you know, she's this courtesan, she's Uh, just here because of that kind of thing. So who knows what actually happened, um, but she may have been. A little courtesan. So, mm-hmm. uh, Strozzi was said to be the most prolific composer, man or woman, of printed secular vocal music in Venice in the middle of the century. Now, when I thought about that, I was like, that is incredibly 
I mean, there's a, lot, down. there's a lot of parameters to that. Because like, technically The I... number one in this time at <laughs> his place doing no. this exact thing. I was like, yeah, that means I'm the most famous composer and singer in London in, in this my room. Flat. <laughs> <laughs> Great, good times. But you know what? She's still really awesome. And I'm mm. glad that I found her music. And, um, she, you know, she, her output was very unique. It was mainly secular vocal music, um, okay. lovely poetic lyrics and, and really beautiful. And she wrote arias and cantatas and ariettas. And today we are going to hear a cantata. So a cantata Ooh. is basically just a, a medium length narrative piece of music mm. um, for voice with an instrumental accompaniment and our fave basso continuum. Oh, baby. And that's how you know it's pardon, Baroque. Girl, uh, pardon my terrible Italian accent. Terrible. Terrible. Um, it's called Che si può fare. Bless you. Right. <laughs> and uh, it's from Opus 8, which was um, it was one of the last things she ever wrote, actually. And it okay. was published in Venice in 1664. Um, it's really stunning. And I'll just read you a little bit of the poem. What does the title of the piece mean? So it means, what can one do? <laughs> what are you going to do? What, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? In Venice. Um, so it's a little poem. So it goes... What can one do if the rebel stars have no pity? What can be done if heaven has no peaceful influence to soothe my sorrows? What can one say from the stars' disasters rain upon me at all hours? What can be said if perfidious love denies the slightest repose to my martyrdom? What can be said? Strong, um, strong. So let's have a little listen to let's it now. It. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy. That was really nice, yeah. It, I mean, it really sounds pretty, isn't it? It sounds like super, super baroque. Like, right. you yeah. heard the harpsichord. It's you heard so everything. Baroque. You got the basso. You got everything, man. Um, I just really liked it, and I thought um, it must have been really interesting to be a woman writing in that time. Mm. But it stands out to me. You know, I'm I'm quite passionate, and actually, I'm glad we did our, our episode on female composers. I really, really want to include more women in Great. every episode, not just because it's like a token lady, but because, as you can tell, this music is stunning. It's really beautiful, uh, and, and it's totally just like I've, I've never dispute- heard of Strozzi before. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, this is my quest and <laughs> my goal <laughs> from now on. Um, Bob's, you are an absolute legend. Bad Classical Podcast. Kelly, I'm really excited. Do you know why? Yes. <laughs> We're going to talk about Bach again. Chris has wanted to talk about Bach uh, for about a year. <laughs> I've, I've snuck him on a couple of times oh, you already. Have actually, yeah. yeah. That's quite shameless. But this is a third running a third, for old Third Johan. time's the charm. Right, come on, tell me more impress me okay so Bach I mean in my opinion anyway but in lots of people's opinions is sort of the granddaddy of Baroque mm-hmm. like he his name stands out as like the dominant force in Baroque music mm. partly because he was so prolific partly because he's so good yeah. um and the piece we're going to talk about today is the cello suites that he wrote so he they're very very famous you might know it 
Do you know the cello suites? I'm probably... When we play it, you'll definitely know it. Yeah, yeah. So he wrote a a lot of music for solo instruments. So having just spoken a lot about how Baroque music has basso continuing... <laughs> you lied to me. I lied to you. Well, that's that's why I was saying right at the top of the show that um, Baroque isn't just one style. It's sort of a period within which all this exciting stuff was happening. A smorgasbord. Indeed. Mm. Um, so this is a set of six cello suites written for solo cello. Um, why don't we listen to the first one now? We're going to listen to the prelude from Cello Suite Number One, mm. G Major. Let's listen. No, let's Super have a chat. excited. I didn't know it was that specific yeah. thing. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners are with me right now. In the, you but know the piece, but you didn't know what exactly. it was called. Exactly, yeah. but that's yeah. great. That's uh, Mr. Bach. Anything else you want to add? Yeah, absolutely. So these pieces, the cello Swedes, weren't actually really very well known until the 20th century, the first half of the 20th century, because for a long time, people just disregarded them. They thought they were just etudes, so just practice pieces, basically, to practice your Is that what etude means? Yeah, study, basically. Ah, um, Okay. And so it wasn't until, uh, I'm not sure the exact year, but it was early 20th century, mm. a Catalan cellist, a man called Pablo Casals, um, he was 13 years old and he was looking around like a second-hand shop in Stop it. Barcelona. Stop it. And it was he found just like the scores to this and was like, oh, this is not like the original ones. Like, they no, were but of. even so. Yeah, so he was just like a young cello student, found these and was like, oh, these are good. And so throughout the course of his life, like, studied them and popularised them. That's insane yeah. and amazing. And I love that that happened. <laughs> oh, my God. And so basically, because he dug them out, people started to pay attention to them. were like, oh, hang on, these are incredibly dope. well written. These are dope. These are dope. So the cello suites have also been actually transcribed for a bunch of other instruments now that they're so popular. Okay. Um, people are like, I like it on the cello. The banjo. But what if I were to play it on these? So I found a list. So they've been adapted for... The violin, the viola, the double bass, the viola de gamba, the mandolin, the piano, the marimba, the classical guitar, the recorder, the flute, the electric bass, the horn, the saxophone, the clarinet, the bassoon, the trumpet, the trombone, the euphonium, the tuba, the ukulele, and the charango. I don't even know what What's a charango, a charango? is. It sounds like a burrito. But <laughs> it it's sounds not. delicious. It's, I will eat one of those. Excellent. Well, um, yeah, I've heard like various guitar versions. I'm sure like Ingwie Malmsteen did one and like all that jazz. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, so that's awesome. just one little tiny taste of Bach. I wish I asked Kelly if I could do two Bach pieces. For I this said episode. a categorical no. <laughs> she shut me down. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we'll do an episode on Bach, won't we? Can we make the whole podcast about Bach? Absolutely not. It's over. It's done. One, two, three, four. Podcast next. Hello, uh, it's Tartini. Tartini. Tart Tatan. Uh, are you allowed to eat Tart Tatans? You're vegan. Uh, I presume not. Is there a vegan version? Maybe. Discuss, but not now. So Giuseppe <laughs> Tartini. 
Uh, another Venetian. I like Venice today. Uh, Giuseppe Tartini was born in 1692, died 1770. Ex- excellent innings. Yeah, very good. Um, his parents wanted him to become a friar, uh, which is why he originally uh, received some basic musical training. But long story short, he studied law, actually. Hold on. Um, Are you trying to smuggle in a 60-second biog here? We're not doing the biographies this <laughs> I week. I don't believe me. It all makes sense. I'm just giving you some, some background. All right, all right, all right. Um, he studied law and then married someone... And then got accused of abduct abducting her. Like I'm not quite sure how this worked okay. out. He married her, and he was like 18. And then this like duke was like, "Oi!" And then he was like, "Shit!" And he ran away to a monastery where he took up the violin. Wait, why did he run away if he didn't abduct her though? I don't he... know. Yeah, I know. It's it's like um, yeah, okay, OJ. It's like OJ, a, 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 an innocent person. Don't run. That's all I'm gonna say. Wow. Um, okay. The point is, he became a very talented violinist. Okay. And um. In fact, I think all of his pieces were, um, all of the, the works that he wrote were violin concerti or sonatas. That was basically... Well, he was in a monastery, that's all he had access to. And so the, what's really interesting and what I find interesting as a person who worked in this profession for a while, he was the first known owner of um, a violin made by Antonio Stradivari in 1715. Oh, like a Stradivarius violin. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. And it's known as the Lipinski Strad, which is a really famous violin that I know all about, which I didn't even realise it was owned by Tartini. That's so um, cool. So, because uh, further down the line, it was owned by Carol Lipinski, which is why it's called yeah. the Lipinski Stradivari. Oh, but, okay. um, and I've heard the weirdest story, which I'm going to tell you now. Uh-huh. So, Tartini gave one of his pupils, uh, Salvini, mm. his Stradivarius, right? And and Salvini then gave it to Lipinski, right? Which is why right. it's now called the Lipinski Strat. But but so there's this there's this story. Okay, apparently Lipinski, a young Lipinski in 1849 met Salvini in Milan, probably at the end of a concert tour. Okay, that would make sense. Lipinski performed for Salvini on this amazing violin. Mm. And Salvini was like, yeah, great. Um, can I just see the violin for a second? And then smashed it to pieces <laughs> against the corner of a table. Then handed it back to Lipinski. Yeah. And said, as a gift from me, and simultaneously as a commemoration of Tartini. What a dick. What does it mean? Does it mean he played really badly? What was it that like this Lipinski guy was so much better, and then he was like, "You yeah. like I just as a get, like, what would that's, you do? That, that's such a <laughs> weird move. Like, oh, can I just see that for a sec? Whoop, and then it's just gone. Okay, forever. but does this violin still exist yeah, it's now? Still exists. So someone fixed it up, presumably. Someone fixed it up, good. But that is absolutely atrocious. And uh, <laughs> if you know more about that, or I'm just talking out of my butthole, please <laughs> tell me. Anyway, point being. Uh, that was the strand. So, um, almost, as I said, all of all of Tartini's works, they're violin concerti or sonatas. Right. And today we're going to hear the Devil's Trill the Devil's Sonata. The Devil's Trill. Um, so it's a sonata in G minor, as it's otherwise known. Mm. Uh, technically, it's an absolute bloody nightmare. Famously, um, like, one of famously, the very, very difficult extremely challenging yeah. because of all the double-stop trills. What's a double-stop trill, Kelly? So it's basically you're trilling on two strings at the same time. or nice. you know, What's or, a trill? <laughs> it's and that's basically it very good um but also i think there are triple stops as well like maybe what? three strings like i don't know but um have a listen and you'll see uh so but before we just quickly very quickly before we listen the story behind You've got it, another story you're full of so many stories I'm, today I'm full of stories okay so he said uh to so the story behind this he said he dreamt one night mm. that he sold his soul to the devil 
A classic um, start for story. Classic. And the devil was like, cool, I'm your servant now. What do you want? They had a lovely time for a bit. Wait, why is the and devil then... his servant? He sold his soul to so the devil. So he sold his... He was like, he made a deal with the devil where he gave... I guess he gave the devil his soul and then the, the devil was like, okay, I'll, I'll do what you want for a bit. Right. Dis- okay, carry on the story. Go- Sorry, Google I disrupted. Google it, yeah, Google yeah. it. So then, and then after a bit, he was like, um, here, take this violin in the dream. And the devil like played the crap out of it he was does. like yeah playing a beautiful sonata quote with such great art and intelligence as i had never even conceived in my boldest flights of fantasy Strong. end quote um so then tartini woke up grabbed his violin and wrote the devil's trill sonata to try and kind of replicate what the devil had done this is the plot of the tenacious d song tribute quite possibly yes um <laughs> literally that's exactly it <laughs> nice um and he said it's the best thing he ever wrote right so then i read this and then i also read something that said that is totally not true um and it's a nice story would, it's a nice I'm... story so let's just pretend <laughs> that's yeah it's let's totally just true suspend, suspend um so um today we mm. are going to hear the allegro the the last movement so it's the andante allegro right um of devil's Short sonata it's in three movements this is the best one here we go excited That sounded oh, like a, a minimum of two violins playing. I know. It's insane. Nicola <laughs> Benedetti absolutely smashing it. Not literally, as was the previous story. <laughs> that's um, yeah. but, that's um, really cool. Isn't it amazing? And if you imagine, yeah, I mean, uh, I was just saying to Chris that the, this violin, the Lipinski Strad, is still in existence, mm. uh, still in existence and still in circulation, you know, amongst violinists. Yeah. Um, and can you imagine playing the Devil's Trill on the Lipinski Strad that's Strad really that cool, kind of yeah. inspired the whole thing and it must be the most incredible feeling of, of history at your fingertips right <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which is really awesome but yeah that piece is insane I would love to see that live mm. wouldn't you yeah that'd be amazing how quickly they must have to move and yeah so yeah if I hope you heard <laughs> I hope you heard all of the um, the trills and all of the different stops and, yeah. and uh, appreciate how very difficult that is but yeah there we go nice. Classical podcast. Kelly, you ready to fly off the handle? Get out can of you, my house. Can you handle this? Yes. <laughs> We're going to talk about Handel. Amazing. George Frederick Handel. Uh, another uh, big, big name in the Baroque world. Mm-hmm. Um, and the piece we're going to talk about is the Messiah oratory ah, that he wrote. Yes. Do you know it? Yes, I do indeed. Um, probably most famous for... It's got the Hallelujah Chorus in it. Hallelujah. Everyone knows it. Mm. Yes, this was written in 1741, so we're talking sort of fairly late, late yeah. Baroque mm. here. Yeah, um, he had moved to England actually, so he's famously German originally, but moved to England, and so was sort of uh, British and German. Okay, uh, he'd moved over to the UK in 1712, so a few decades before he wrote this, mm-hmm. um, and largely made his name writing opera, sort of Italian operas. Okay, and that's how he sort of established his name in the UK. 
Uh, and then he moved on to writing oratorios. So as we've, I think, mentioned briefly before, an oratorio is effectively a religious opera. Yes. Um, the structure of the Messiah, though, is different to an opera in that there aren't characters, sort of, no one plays Jesus. It's what a shame. <laughs> yeah. In the same way that, like... A difficult part. Someone like, for example, Johann Sebastian Bach, when he wrote his St. Matthew and St. John Passions, you have people just, you know, it came up naturally. I'd had to talk about Bach. Um, He has people playing Jesus and singing as Jesus, whereas here it's reflections and meditations on biblical stories. So the Messiah is incredible because we start from basically the beginning of the Old Testament all the way through sort of the passion of Christ and the resurrection and everything. It sort of, it really gets the whole lot in there. Nice. So the piece we're going to listen to you today uh, is called Behold the Lamb of God. Behold. Behold it. Um, <laughs> and this is uh, the beginning of the second part of the Messiah. So mm-hmm. it's split up into three parts. Mm-hmm. And this is the the first movement of the second part. Mm-hmm. And it's just a lot of people beholding beholding the lamb. Some roast lamb with some nice mint sauce. I mean, I think it's being used more metaphorically to talk okay. about Jesus. Sorry, rather than... I haven't had lunch. That's why I'm hungry. <laughs> um, that sounds awesome. Should we have a listen? Uh, yes, but before we do, oh, all right. there's one thing you should listen out for. Okay. Um, so one stylistic feature that became quite common, uh, again, popularised and championed by Bach, uh, is uh, the fugue. So a fugue is when you have a tune coming in and then another part comes in and plays the tune like a couple of bars later while the original tune is still going on mm-hmm. so you have the same tune nice. like starting again and yeah. again and looping over itself yeah nice um so listen out for this with all the various vocal entries i'm gonna in. and i'm gonna love it all right here we go about that now i think about it mm. it really it makes me think that mozart did a little bit of a did a little bit of a stealing issue oh um, it sounds a bit like uh his requiem i mean i say that all musicians steal but that is quite i don't know i just found that well, very similar tweet, yeah, well... tweet us if you agree <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it's really beautiful and actually totally different from what we've heard in this episode in terms of Baroque stuff, isn't it? Still had a harpsichord in there, so that's how you know it's Baroque. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> no, that was awesome. Yeah, so it was originally written for quite a modest orchestra size, basically. It's now gotten to the stage where basically it's usually performed around sort of Advent time. Okay. And people do like massive versions of it with like the entire crowd singing along. And it's just like, all right, let's just oh, please, chill out a bit like, here. Please stop. Yeah. Um, I personally prefer it when it's sort of like a slightly more intimately done rather than a sort of a nice. massed choir. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so this was relatively popular from the get go. It sort of it picked up steam the more it got performed um, and is now obviously like a massively famous piece. But um Haydn, Joseph Haydn, the composer who we, 
we talked about them on the podcast yet? Yeah, we have, I think. I think so. Yeah, we did. Briefly. One of the episodes. <laughs> oh, God. We have yeah. good memories, everyone. Um, I'm old. So he saw a performance of this in Westminster Abbey in 1791. So this is about 50 years on Couple after years it had been written. Mm. Yeah, just, just the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, and Haydn was just so deeply moved by, weirdly enough, the Hallelujah Chorus. So the Hallelujah, mm. which I think is like the best part of it. He wasn't hiding his feelings. He was not. Oh. <laughs> End me. Keep going. <laughs> he was so deeply moved by it yeah. that he, um, quote, he said, he is the master of us all. <laughs> um, just because he was like, it's so good. <laughs> That's such a great thing to say. I yeah, so Haydn, Haydn was a big old fan of this. Of us all. And I think I agree. That's how I feel about Ryan Gosling. Keep going. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty much the, the end of my story. But. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, that's really cool. Awesome. So that's Handel. He, I mean, he's written just like a whole bunch of stuff. He's got some really, really nice operas as well, actually. Yeah. Um, Check them out. This is, this is the number one famous thing by him, I guess. Thank so. you very much. You're very welcome. Please leave us a five-star review. Please leave us a five-star review. Please leave us a five-star review. Thank you very much for listening to our Baroque episode. It's been a Baroque blast. It's been a blast, but Baroque. Oh, leave no, the puns to too, me, mate. Too, too much. Leave the puns too much, to too me. Um, thank you so much. I hope you've learned. I've also been learning. Um, if you have enjoyed our episode, uh, we have a few requests, a few, a few things for you yes. to do. So, first of all, social media, all that usual jazz, Twitter. At that classical Instagram, at that classical Insta, it Facebook, is. that classical podcast. Can you can email it. us that classical email at gmail.com. And as always, <laughs> please do go to iTunes and give us a five star review because we love you forever if it you do it. It would be brilliant. However, uh, this week, we got one more thing to ask of you, Kelly. That is true. So um, basically, we uh, have entered into the British Podcast Awards. Because um, we're British because and we, we make are, a That's exactly right. right. Um, and we would love if you if you do enjoy the show, if you've been a long time listener as well, uh, if you voted for us for the Listener's Choice Award, you can do this by going to the British Podcast Awards website, going to the Listener's Choice Award section uh, and typing in our podcast, and we'd really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, just all the links to, will be on all of our social media and stuff yeah, as well. So we'll you we'll plop it everywhere in. we possibly can, but that would be really great. Um, and if not, fair enough. Uh, right, <laughs> don't, so. don't give them the option. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 <laughs>